Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 25th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of November 19th, 2023. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to do this week's podcast, and I'm excited that we're getting to this near end of this lectionary year. It's kind of an exciting time. I know there's going to be some difficult texts here coming up in the next couple weeks. And also, there's just a lot going on as you're having a lot of different churches starting to think about and definitely having plans for Advent and Christmas being right around the corner, along with here in the United States having Thanksgiving thrown in there. There's a lot going on, and there's a lot here going on as well. There's a lot of little things that I have going outside the podcast. There's a couple things that, as I've kind of teased, I still have my Green Blades Rising publication commentary that I'm working on. There's just a lot going on. So I think it's one of these moments where, in all the busyness, it's really easy for us to get wrapped up and miss different things. But I think that's where last week's question really ties in beautifully. And the question for last week was, where can we stop and listen and be there for a while with God. And there was a couple different things that was talked about here this last week, talking a little bit about getting into what we talked about with trees and how during different droughts and different things where we have watched trees, even in the upper parts of the Northern Hemisphere, in unseasonably dry times, dropping leaves early. But even this discussion on the Sabbath and what does that look like, how we need to be having that Sabbath, how we need those times to get away. And I know for me and for myself, it's one of the things where I'm still working on figuring out how do I make sure I'm still doing that enough. It's important for me to have time with my wife, but it's also important for me to make sure I'm making time for myself. And sometimes that's out in the woods and different things like that. And that's something I know for me. I will often cut out for other things. And I think it's one of these moments where God does approach and talk in other places, but we also have to sometimes go to those places where we know God talks the easiest to us. And being able to make those times for it, it's part of our daily, should be part of our weekly practice or monthly practice to make sure that we're doing that so that we're able to be actively communicating with God and working through that. And I think in our day-to-day world, it's really difficult to do that. And sometimes it evolves and changes over time and how we do that. But I think it's also this aspect of how we need to be making time for it. It's like going to the gym. It's like making sure we're fed. It's like making sure we're going to work. We need to be making sure that we're taking time for God. So let's just jump into it for this week. The continuous Old Testament text this week is out of Judges chapter 4, the first seven verses of it. This is, again, kind of furthering along the story here. We're kind of jumping quite a ways ahead. And now the Israelites have been kind of captured and taken over by multiple different armies. They cry out. And this is where there was a judge, Deborah, which was one of the females. So again, as we've talked about before, when we're hearing about females in the Bible, we need to perk our ears up. But this prophetess is in a judging position at this point and is getting the call to bring people in that we're going to rise up an army. God has heard the call and his God is going to deliver us out of the tribe of their captives. This is one of those moments that it's a kind of a small known, I wouldn't say it's the most popular story ever, but Deborah ends up being a real hero here for the people of Israel at this moment, the Israelites. And it's just a neat opportunity for us to be able to see that. But again, it's this moment of us crying out and realizing that we are needing the Lord's help coming from verse 3, that we aren't able to do what we're called to do without God's help. 
The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 123, all four verses of it. To you I lift my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than its fill of scorn of those who are at ease, of contempt of the proud. This idea of how we need to continue to steer our eyes, even as the world is chaotic and crazy around us, continue to steer our eyes and look to God for guidance and help. The other alternative Old Testament text this week is out of Zephaniah chapter 1, starting with verse 7 and then 12 through 18. This is a moment, again, where we are steering our eyes and our gaze to God and how often we waste a lot of what God has done, that we overlook it, that we build on these things. I really like here verse 13, their wealth shall be plundered and their house laid to waste. Though they build their houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant their vineyards, they shall not drink of them. The great day of the Lord is near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The warrior cries aloud there. This idea of how God is preparing for the end, and that's what we're going to be getting in a lot of these other texts, that the end is coming. And how do we prepare for that? How do we continue to have our eyes gazing and looking to God and not necessarily purely focused on what is going on around us? But it's this balance, too, that we'll get into a little bit more with the science tie-in this week. But this idea of how sometimes we get caught up in our human construction of things and this humanness and we forget our holiness that we are called into. So that's really where Zephaniah is getting at this week. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 90, verses 1 to 8, optionally 9 through 11, and verse 12. So this is this recognition of that God has been there from the beginning. And God has always been there and has been doing all these different things and has been creating. And sometimes we as people have lost sight of that. We as people have gotten consumed with these different things and in doing that have caused a lot of trouble, caused a lot of things where we lose sight of what we're here for and what we are called to do. And so that's where verse 12 becomes so important. So teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. This idea of how we are here for but a moment, but God is here so much longer. And so then we should be valuing this time and being able to look at how can we have impact? How can we move the needle in a positive way because of what God has done? The New Testament text, the epistle text this week is out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the first 11 verses to that. This then is reminding us that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, coming from verse 2, that we need to be, again, prepared, but not scared. And recognizing and remembering in that that we are children of the light, that we are called into this greater meaning of portraying the light. But that also means then not falling asleep and being alert, which means we need to sleep when it is dark in this case, that we aren't necessarily losing ourselves. And in this case, it is compared to getting drunk at night and being in a stupor, essentially, that we are called to embrace 
this mindset of being of faith and love and hope of salvation, being able to shine that light out even when it is difficult. And that means for us to be alert and aware and conscious of what is going on. The gospel text this week is out of Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. This is a parable that Jesus is telling, talking about a man going on a journey and he's entrusting to his slaves parts of his property and giving five talents to one, two talents to one, and one to another. And talents, it would be a very substantial amount of money. The first one, he is able to make some trades and double it. The second one, in a similar manner, is able to double it. And the third one, due to fear, hides the master's money. And then in verse 19, this will be a key point, after a long time, the master of the slaves comes to settle the accounts and is seen that the first one has doubled and is seen as this is a good thing. You have well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. The same is done then for the second one who is able to double his two talents to four. And the last one states that he realizes that the master is a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed, so was afraid and hid it in the ground. And this is where the slave gets called out for being a lazy and wicked slave. What were you doing? Tells to give this to the other slave who had 10, saying, why didn't you at least even invest the money? You would have gotten some return on it. And so in that, then there is the last two verses. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for the worthless slave thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this very down ending to this parable and it sometimes can be a very difficult parable and I would argue still a difficult parable to dig into as we are ending and getting near the end of this lectionary cycle. But before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do shameless plugs for Working Preacher, if you have a digital working preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their sermon brainwaves, podcasts, or commentaries, or discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help give me some direction on how to look and steer and think about this podcast week to week. So if you haven't checked out the amazing stuff that is going on over at workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the revised common lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I really enjoy how they lay out the text week to week, but I also really enjoy how they have the art, prayers, hymns, colors, a lot of different things to help you prepare whether you are preaching or whether you are being a part of the congregation for worship week to week. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt Symphony Library, I'd highly recommend that also. Finally, I'd also highly recommend checking out the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publications. As I stated earlier in the podcast, I will be writing for one of these later in the year. It is soon approaching, but it gives a lot of ecological echoes, implications, and urgencies, along with some different events that are geared a little bit more toward the upper Midwest of the United States, but they go beyond that. And it's a really great way to be able to look at these texts from a different perspective. If you enjoy sitting down and listening to me ramble about how faith and science come together week to week, I think you would really enjoy looking at these reflections week to week. There's some really great content in there. So I'd highly recommend checking out the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and the Green Blades Rising Publications. There will be more information on that stuff in the show notes. Not the most uplifting story we have this week. And it's one of those moments where you're wondering, wow, 
this seems really harsh of Jesus. This seems really dark of Jesus. And especially with a lot of the text that we have complementing this this week, a lot of darkness, a lot of depth, a lot of heaviness in this stuff. So what does that all mean? How does this all work? How do we get out of this? And I think it's really easy for us to be put ourselves in the position of the slaves who did well, the slaves who were able to double. And it's not easy for us to put ourselves in the shoes of the one who has a talent. Yes, it's less, but then doesn't do anything with it. And what does that mean? Because yes, he goes and buries this talent, this sum of money. But there's also a point where it doesn't state that he didn't try. And I think that's where, for me, how I'm looking at this text this week is, where are we ignoring things? Because I think in this way, he sees the negative, he sees it all, and just decides not to do anything about it. He decides that this is a problem that's too big. It decides, I'm going to worry about this later. I am going to bury this, and then it will go away. And we know how that goes. And I think, especially here in the United States, but even worldwide, I think there are some things that are needing to be addressed and looked at that we are trying to bury. We are trying to make just go away. And I think we're starting to see that that isn't the case. I'll attach a couple links down below. I picked this up from the Phil DeFranco show. I've talked about that a few different times, but he referenced in his show this last week talking about how... The New York Times did a deep dive talking to a lot of great authors looking at the water crisis here in the United States. And what they're meaning by that is how the aquifers for groundwater here in the United States are disappearing. We have been over-consuming water here, especially the last 50 years, but probably the last 75 years here in the United States, and we're now starting to see the problems with it. And they're quite vast, and they're quite scary, and I think it's something that we really should be spending more time thinking about. How things are currently drawn up, there is no federal legislation on groundwater. And so groundwater is then established state to state. And in doing that, there has been over the last 100 years or so, we'll put it that way, we have looked at different parts of the country being really good farming areas, such as the kind of the breadbasket of America, if you want to put it that way, kind of the Kansas, Oklahoma area. We have the Corn Belt that goes through Iowa and Indiana. And there's these great areas where farming and farming culture is a major part of it. Shout outs to even the upper Dakotas, knowing that their land from the ancient prairies that were there were amazing places to be growing. And coming out of especially World War II, as the article kind of talks about, we took some of the different technology that we were able to have. And instead of just letting nature do its course, why wouldn't we try to increase the yield by watering fairly consistently? And in doing that, we were able to produce more food, which is awesome. But we have gotten beyond the point of diminishing returns. And the problem that has also happened is because of this consistent watering, we now have deficits. We have been watering more than what the land is able to get on a year-to-year basis. And as this problem has continued to show up, there has been multiple different fallouts from it. 
First, one of the fallouts has been is that due to us consuming more water than what is being put into the earth on the location that it's at, it's caused the aquifer to go to dangerous levels to the point where then you're not able to water like that, which then the first result is reduced yields. And the reduced yields then are affecting agriculture. And then it also then becomes this question of, we've been using a lot for agriculture, what about people just living? And recognizing that that is a vital part of life is that we all need to be able to consume water. But if you're using it all in these crops, what do we do? It also means that we need to evaluate the crops in which we're using. We have at different points been using very water intensive crops in areas that maybe don't necessarily have the greatest water reproduction, such as Arkansas producing a lot of the rice for here in the United States. And as these basins are starting to dry up, what is that actually doing? You're not able to replenish and it makes it harder on these cities. The problem that also comes from this is with the changing climate that we're experiencing, we're starting to get heavy downpours. Well, heavy downpours don't necessarily allow for that water to be really soaked into the ground and be able to go into the aquifers. It's often being rushed away in rivers and being carried away to the ocean or different things like that, especially taking into consideration like the severe rains that we had in California last year really didn't do a great job at refilling a lot of these aquifers, natural groundwater aquifers, because of how hard and quick it came down, it wasn't allowed to be able to soak into the ground. So thus you are compounding this problem that you have diminishing groundwater and the groundwater is disappearing. So what do we do? We take areas like in Maryland, how as they have gotten to levels that the groundwater is so low that you are starting to actually get arsenic into the water that because of how low it is, and they're starting to look into some of that. And what does that mean? They are trying to pipe water from other areas in. So now we are consuming more electricity, more power, more resources to be able to do this. This is also then being even seen on other parts of the country, such as the state of Arizona, having where less and less people are able to dig wells because they're saying the groundwater is being affected too much. Their groundwater levels aren't there. And what is happening? We are also seeing a trend that arsenic peels up more, this metal that can be lethal to us, especially as we dig wells deeper and deeper and deeper to be able to get that water. So thus being able to try to reduce us doing these dig deep wells is beneficial, but that's also harder because if the wells are gone and the water isn't there, what are we going to do? The final problem that we run into is because the water was filling up an area, it creates the possibility for fissures to happen or sinkholes or places where the ground can literally just start to sink or rip apart because the water is helping hold things up. As we're draining these aquifers, there are spots within the United States where people have their land has dropped. 10 inches all the way to 10 feet because of we're extracting these resources that we're holding things up and suddenly that's not there anymore. It's a hole. It's a cavern. And this prevents the possibility for us to really be able to at times expand and grow and be able to look at things from a broader sense. The other issue that has come from this is because the United States has been seen as this food powerhouse for the world and has been able to help so much with doing food production for not only the United States, for, for much of the world, 
it's difficult to suddenly be stating because we're running out of water, we are now potentially going to be affecting people all over the world because we're not being responsible with this resource. We have noticed some of this stuff. We don't know what to do about it. So we're just going to continue to ignore it and watch it disappear. And the thing that's kind of scary about the whole thing is if you dig into the article from the New York Times, it's not necessarily focused on one location in the continental United States. It's scattered throughout. There's definitely places with more concentration, especially around major city hubs, coincidentally. But also there are dots that are scattered all over the United States where wells are starting to go dry. And so how does this pertain to the end times? How does this portray to a lot of these different texts that we have this week? I think a lot of it is us being ignorant, us being arrogant, us allowing ourselves to get into the situation, us realizing that the data is showing this, but are we changing our habits? Now, yes, there are farmers that are deciding to go back to a more old school way of farming of, we're just going to let the rains come. But if the rains don't come, They've already noticed the yield going down because of that. And yes, we can try using technology to help us gain traction to be able to have more drought-resistant plants that still produce yield. But at some point, we also have to realize we have overconsumed. At some point, we have to realize we have been given a gift and we're not utilizing it well. We have been given gifts and we're not utilizing them well. Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. So here is what is of yours. We've been given a gift of this place and we've been told to take care of it. And sometimes when we have these harsh realities of we're maybe not doing as good of a job as what we were called to do initially of taking care of this place, Sometimes our initial reaction is to just go and hide. The whole mentality of like we had as a kid, la 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 la, I'm not listening. I don't care. I don't want to hear that today. And so sometimes I feel like we fall into this trap, especially in the developed world, these first world nations of where we struggle with the idea that maybe we need to look at the data and adapt and change. Maybe we saw what we were doing and we saw it was great and look at all the yield and then suddenly it starts not producing. And oh crap, we're just going to hold on to this talent because this is the one thing that we do have and we don't want to lose it. Because everything is falling apart around me, I don't want to even invest it because I'm scared of it disappearing. Do we forget? Do we forget from like the judge's text of what happens when we cry out to the Lord and we lift our eyes looking to God? Do we not realize that maybe we're getting caught up in the idea of us with these human things and we're missing the divine things that are around us as Zephaniah is calling for us to be aware and alert of. As we're called in the Psalms to be focused on God, focused on the flourishing of what God is doing around us and realizing we are here but an instant to be able to give God glory and make the most of it instead of being scared of it. To recognize that when we receive this difficult information, are we going to act dumb? Are we going to allow ourselves to just go get drunk and just say, but things are great now, so I'm not going to worry about the future? Because that doesn't help you. That's like getting drunk at night and not thinking about what the next morning is going to look like. That we are called instead to be that light. We are called to bring faith, love, and hope 
into this world, which means we need to be able to take this information and figure out how can we adapt and change to bring glory to God and out of it. God is still saying that there's blessings from that. So that also ties into what we talked about last week. What blessings are we missing? Because we are being so stubborn to not take this information and contemplate, then what do I need to do to adapt and change? And the thing is, it's not just one of us. It's all of us. It's all of us working together. It's all of us doing this. And the thing is, is that's when the body of Christ comes alive, is when we actually work together to be able to solve these big issues. And if we look through the history that we even call modern history, the achievements that we hold as the greatest achievements are the achievements that we work together to achieve, where we work together to be able to figure something out where we didn't put our head in the sand, we saw a difficult challenge and we pursued it. And we worked together to figure it out and realized that there would be sacrifices along the way. The difficult thing with this parable from Matthew is we don't see in the first two slaves the difficulty of what they had to do to be able to do that. The trading, the being able to work to be able to get two more talons. We're told it's a long period of time, but we see the work in which they're doing just in a half a sentence. Meanwhile, the other slave sees the work that it would take and decides not to do it. When we see the difficult information being presented to us, are we willing to put in the work that it takes to be able to reverse that trend? These are hard questions that our world has to deal with. And the thing is, is especially as a United States citizen, there are other places in the world that value groundwater. There are other places that we can look to and learn and grow from other people who have already spent significant amounts of time dealing with this, such as Denmark, because they know we can't have their our water basins get too low for the salt water to get into it and just destroy the whole thing, because otherwise that makes it inhabitable. Where in the United States, we're having that happen. We've seen it happen. It's been going on even for the last hundred years, but yet we continue to ignore it. It's a crisis that we're not willing to discuss, not willing to look at, not willing to consider. But yet, how are we going to live? And the thing is, is that there's other places around the world that have done significant work, significant time and work and effort to be able to make sure that that isn't happening to them. And why can't we be humble enough to be able to ask and learn and be able to adapt and change and figure out how to modify it to make it work for us? Are we that arrogant? Are we that arrogant to the point that we can't look other places? Because the problem that we've gotten into is to think that we all as individual countries have to solve all these problems by ourselves or individual states here in the United States. We are one people. We are all homo sapiens. Why wouldn't we be beg borrowing and stealing ideas that are going to benefit all of us in taking care of this place? Yes, there is a time and a place for a copyright. Don't get me wrong. But there's also a time to be able to work together to make this globe and this environment in which we live a better place. And maybe that's something we need to actually contemplate. So the question I have for you this week is where do we need to quit ignoring the difficult information and use our talents for betterment of the globe? Where do we need to quit ignoring difficult conversations and be able to take our talents for the betterment of the globe? I think this is a conversation that we need to be having a lot. And I think it transcends just the environment. It transcends human interactions with each other. That we need to be able to interact and work together and see the humanity in each of us be able to work through difficult situations, be able to try working through the hurt, the trauma, the defining hardships in our life stories, to be able to get to a place where we all can benefit, where we all 
can be part of those slaves who are able to take their talents and multiply them. Being able to benefit not only the individual, but all of us in doing that. Because the thing that I think we're missing, and we can kind of see a little bit here in the Judges and the Psalms this week, is by us ignoring these problems and not putting the resources to them and putting our heads in the sand like, and ignoring it, we are missing out on the potential blessings that God has for us by going through the difficult path. The things that we could learn and grow because of the difficulty of what we have to do. And that's sad. That's scary. We're trying to have this close, intimate relationship with God, but we're missing it because we aren't willing to deal with some difficult things. We aren't willing to do these difficult tasks. And is that not what we talk about with our faith? Of what Jesus did for us was not easy or safe. It was hard work. Jesus didn't want to do it. The humanity of Jesus was shown. So maybe we need to be able to take these difficult situations and figure out how we can work together through them. Because if God is embedded within each of us, why wouldn't we be wanting to work with our neighbors to get through two heads being better than one and work through some of these difficult situations together? I think we have a lot of work to do. But I think one of the things that can unite us is looking at water and knowing that we all need it, knowing that it matters to all of us, and knowing that maybe we need to treat it with more respect. Figure out how we can be efficient with it, Figure out how we can work to replenish the aquifers that are lost because they've gone too dry that they'll never be able to be filled again. And be able to figure out the blessings that each of us have been given and utilizing them for the betterment of all of us. And that is when I think we actually get to see the love, the hope, the faith, what Christ envisioned for all of us moving forward. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.